I don't know of anything in the Bible, any section of the Bible that is more demanding or more challenging to Christians than this Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, or 7. It's not hard to read it. It's not hard to study it. It's not hard to memorize if you want to apply yourself like that. But you have to have something from God to be able to live it. It can be very offensive depending on how you stand, or it can be very distant. If you've never been taught to obey the Lord, or if your brand of Christianity or your way of living the Christian life is not all the way totally given into Christ, then you can take and leave what you want out of here. Most people do. But you can't read this Sermon on the Mount without being challenged by it. Now, we've been through chapter 5 to this point. We come to verse 38 down through verse 42, which is now dealing with the principle of non-resistance. Not a popular subject, but as I've already said, it's a challenging subject. And remember, this is what Jesus taught, not what a man is teaching. Verse 38, you have heard that it was, has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him too. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, Turn not thou away. Now, you can only imagine your mind playing all the scenarios with verses like that. Somebody wants to borrow from you, don't turn them away. And there the world is full of moochers and shysters and all kinds of crooks and criminals and people with this and that. And, and some people would read this and say, well, that's what we're supposed to do. And I certainly don't want to add anything to this tonight. I don't want to take anything of it away from it. But one thing that we must strive for, not only me, but you also, what I say and what you hear, is that we can rightly divide this word so that we're hearing it right and we're able to make right application of it. Because if you're not careful, you can swing one side or you can swing to the other side and you'll miss the whole point. If you're legalistic, if anybody wants to borrow or somebody smites you on the cheek or you can't even defend yourself under any circumstances... But that's not exactly what Jesus is teaching here. You've got to, to remember at this time, and I'm not saying this is only applicable to a time, but during this time of Israel's history, they were under Roman rule. And they were not free to do whatever they wanted to. They had their own Mosaic code, the law of Moses that they lived by, and that was tolerated. But also they were ill-treated by their captors. And they didn't like the Romans, and the Romans didn't like them. They didn't like that dusty little stretch of land down there, but somebody had to do it. And so they weren't really friendly towards the Jews, and the Jews weren't really friendly towards the Romans. So a lot of things did happen, and they would fight the Romans. And they were ill-minded against them. And they felt it was okay. They had been taught by the scribes and Pharisees that you should do this or that. And if they do this, get even with them. Exact some revenge. I mean, after all, if you let people, they'll run over you. And you can't just let people run over you, not in this life. And if you're going to walk your way through life, you're going to have to defend yourself and 
eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. And if you have that kind of an attitude, then you're, a mili- you're militaristic or you're militant, and you'll find yourself sideways with God because he says, but I say to you. Now, let me show you what he's probably referring to. Go to Exodus. First of all, Exodus chapter 21 and verse 22. Now, the Mosaic Code, as I'm calling it, the Law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, it had the moral law, it had the ceremonial law, and it had the civil law. The moral law, of course, we know as the Ten Commandments is the kind of person we ought to be with regard to God and our fellow man. The first four have to do with our relationship with God. The next six have to do with our relationship with each other. Thou shalt not kill, steal, bear false witness, and so forth. It it has to do in how we relate to other people. While the world is doing all of this, we cannot and we should not. Then there was a ceremonial law and how the people would portray the forgiveness that would come in the New Testament and offering sacrifices and the cleansing and all kinds of certain things and ordinances that people had to, had to do. Then there was a the civil law, which is what we're dealing with now. The civil law was, was in our relationship with each other. It is probably right to say that it's unavoidable that we're going to have issues. We're going to run into each other. Somebody's going to be offended. Somebody's going to do somebody wrong. Somebody's going to take advantage of somebody and uh, steal or, or lie to somebody and cause harm or injury or, or make a mistake. God had provisions for that, too. If You know, if you kill somebody accidentally, there were cities of refuge. There were six of them in Israel. And if the person who did this accidentally ran to one of these cities of refuge, nobody could take his life. There's no eye for an eye in that situation. And But he had to stay in that city until the high priest died. That might be many years, but that was the way it was. And so when he deals with this business about, but I say unto you, Jesus is going back to the Old Testament. He said, now this is the way you've heard it. This was the law that Moses gave you. This is the way you've lived all your known, all your lives. These are the only things you've ever known. And he said, Moses did this, and Moses said this, and this is the way it was. But let me tell you something. In the kingdom of God, and Jesus spoke of his kingdom in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, a kingdom that is coming. In his kingdom, we live under his kingship, and his way is different in the New Testament than it was in the Old, so that we cannot go back and say, well... Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I'm going to get even. No, we don't do that anymore. Well, why not? It says so here. I know it says that, but I say unto you that in a new covenant, things have changed. Now, the only people that can live this life are Christians. Anybody can talk about it, study it, master their Greek and Hebrew, whatever. But the only people that will ever truly live this way and accept the terms that Jesus gives us are Christians. And I'm not talking about calling yourself a Christian. I'm talking about those who live the Christian life. If Christianity is anything at all, if it's anything at all, it's living on Christ's terms. If he said it, that's the way it is. That's what we do. We don't do it because it seems good. We do it because he said it. Now, in Exodus chapter 21 and verse 22... 
talking about the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth thing. He said, if men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her or she has a miscarriage and yet no mischief or harm follow, he shall be surely punished according as the woman's husband will lay upon him. He shall pay as the judges determine. Now, the judges were those at the gate who judged matters between people. When there was a problem, you went before the elders at the gate, and there would be a judge there. And then when they hear the whole story, they would reach a decision. And if some harm came or some accident, whatever happened here, then the husband of that uh, woman could exact judgment on that man, but to a limit, because the law had that in here too. You couldn't go too far. Verse 23, and if any mischief or harm follow, then thou shalt give life for life. Wow, that stopped a whole lot of stuff. Verse 24, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Now, it's interesting. If Exodus 20 is the moral code, the, the Ten Commandments. We get that in Exodus chapter 20. Chapter 21 and 22 is interesting reading. If you just want to get up some morning and read something in the Bible, read Exodus 21 and 22, how God gave laws governing our relationship with each other and what we do in the event somebody is hurt, murdered, loses an eye, and, and how that was dealt with. <clears throat> they didn't put them in prison. I don't think they had prisons in. They just simply dealt with it there. If you took an eye, then you lost an eye. If you knocked out a tooth, yours got knocked out. How many of you know that would restrain passion somewhat? I mean, you couldn't get away from this. You couldn't, you couldn't avoid this. This is the way it was. Go to Leviticus chapter 24. Because Jesus here is telling, like he did in Exodus 21, this is where they've heard this. Exodus 24 and verse 19. And if a man cause a blemish in his neighbor, as he hath done, so shall it be done to him, breach for breach, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As he hath caused a blemish in man, so shall it be done to him again. That's pretty plain, isn't it? If you do something to somebody and you leave a blemish, a scar or a bruise, whatever, then that's what they can do back to you. Go keep going to Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy 19 and verse 16. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which was wrong, both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition. And behold, if the witness be a false witness and hath testified falsely against his brother... Then shall he do unto him as he thought to have done unto his brother. So shall thou put away evil from among you. I don't know what I could use here. He said uh, this or that, and it, it wasn't true. And, and if you find out that the guy was lying, then whatever he was going to do, whatever he was going to exact from his brother, his brother could exact from him. If you were going to try to take him to court and get his team of oxen, then you lost yours if you had any. Because this is the way it was. It's like God saying, we're not going to have that. 
People aren't going to live that way. The law is not going to be lax so that you can twist it and distort it. It's this way, period. It is black and white. The purpose in verse 20 was those who which remain shall hear and fear and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. You're not going to have this false accusation stuff. And thine eye shall not pity, but life shall go for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. What if it was your child? Your dad, your brother, your sister that was doing the false accusing or had committed such a crime and the same crime they committed was exacted upon them. No pity. I think God is making it real, real clear. If you're going to live as my people, then you're going to live on my terms. And if you don't, you're going to die for it or you're going to suffer for it. Not from me, but from each other. So that before you want to have a passionate uprising against somebody and hit him in the mouth, realize this, that when it's over with and the judges hear of it and you're brought to court, he gets to hit you in the mouth. And if you hit him twice, he gets to hit you twice. If you hit him hard, he gets to hit you hard. You can't stop him because the whole nation is back in the law. As such, he said, you put away evil from among you. We're living in a very frivolous age now. Very frivolous. People sue people for any reason. People lie and get by with it. People kill people, murder people and get 10 years in jail and lie their way out of this and that. You couldn't do that in God's kingdom. And he says to us as his people, he said, now that's the way they did it. But I say unto you concerning wrongs that are done to you is not fair and it's not right. He said, you don't even resist evil. Remember that? He, he said that we resist not evil. See, the purpose of the law, as I said before, or said in another time, the purpose of the law was to govern the foundation of justice. It was specifying not only the, the punishment which a wrongdoer deserved, but also a compensation which, to which a victim can exact from that. And it, it, it was clear that if somebody did this, then you have every right in the law to do that. Now, it is believed in the time of the Sermon on the Mount that the scribes, who were the teachers of the law, that the scribes were more or less teaching people. And remember, people didn't have Bibles. They couldn't read it for themselves. Most of them couldn't read it anyway. So they had to depend on what the scribes and the Pharisees would teach when they stood on the corners teaching. They had to go hear what they had to say to have an idea even what was in the law or hear from their ancestors or mothers or fathers. So they couldn't read it for themselves. They had to go by what was taught. And whenever they would teach, they would often explain the law. This is what this means. And apparently a lot of them were teaching that, you know, you are required. You are required to do something about your situation. You have to exact revenge. It's the law of Moses. And Jesus comes along and disrupts all of man's ways. And he says, but I say unto you, Matthew 5 and verse 45. God is talking about his, his people will live as children of the king. And I said, you're going to live that way. You as my people, listen, he said, in the New Testament in the year 2011, whatever's going on in the world, whatever justice or lack of it is going on, 
while we're citizens in this physical body, we're citizens of the United States and the law, the Constitution, all of that. But for us, there is a higher code. And if the two clash, if the law of man and the law of God clash, like if they tell you that you must do this or they tell you you got to do that, and that violates your Christian convictions, how many of you know you got to put God first? And so you have to take a stand. Most Christians won't. I've met very few Christians in my life that will take a stand if, it, if they're going to suffer for it. And Jesus said you will suffer for it. Remember he said in John 7, you'll be hated? In John 7 and John 15, Jesus told his disciples, he said, if you live according to what I'm teaching, you will be hated by all men. You'll be rejected and scorned, but rejoice. He said, count it all joy when you encounter difficulties and problems. You could get out of all of them. All you have to do is change what you're saying, change where you go to church, change what you believe, quit talking about your conviction. Just leave all of that alone, blend in with the whole scene, and, and nobody will ever single you out for adversity because you're no different than they are. We're singled out for adversity when we begin to stand on what we believe. Neighbor, sign this petition here against such and such that they want stopped. And you're your neighbor good friends until you say, I can't. What do you mean you can't? Well, a petition is to me a form of protest. Would you agree? I am protesting something that's going on. I demand the law to do something about it. And nobody would think twice about doing that except... When you have a conviction, a conviction, remember, there's a preference, there's a conviction. A preference is you do right because you really believe it's right. I mean, you're doing something you really, you really believe is right and you're doing it, but you'll change if the heat's on. You would prefer to stay doing right, but in light of the circumstances, I don't know. Whereas a conviction is a God-ordered belief that you cannot change. If God gives you something, it is as He is. I am the Lord. Remember Malachi 3.6? He said, I am the Lord. I change not. And God's Word does become to those who believe it, they become God-ordered convictions. They don't make you popular. They won't put you on talk shows. They won't put your picture in the paper as Citizen of the Week. Because when you begin to live as God wants you to live, you're living differently than most everybody else lives. And that's just too much God, too much religion, too much conviction. You're legalistic, you're dogmatic, whatever else they say about people that believe we ought to obey the Lord. They would have said the same thing, I'm sure, about, about the disciples of Jesus. You know, even in Leviticus 19, God told his people, avenge not yourselves on your brothers. But they would anyway. That's one of those verses you leave out because, you know, that's obscure and, you know, nobody. So they would do that. Jesus is saying, now I'm saying to you, if you want to be my disciple, have you ever heard that phrase before? If you want to be my disciple, remember in Luke 14? And he begins listing the things that a disciple does. Remember how that was so offensive to hate your father and your mother? To hate your own life also? To give up, you know, to forsake all that you have. And again, if you don't have any clue as to what is meant and how that's made applicable, you do like the people then. They walked away. I can't do that. 
Except you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. In John chapter 6, they walked away. This is crazy, they would say. What we would say, that's crazy. Well, that's crazy. Nobody, that's, that's, that don't make sense. Well, it doesn't make sense. Jesus said a lot of people have eyes to see, but cannot see. They have ears to hear, but they can't hear. They can hear it academically. They can put two and two together and make four out of it. But spiritually, there's an inner man of the heart that must be illumined and enlightened. You remember that in Ephesians 1? We're not talking about heady Christians that are just high IQ and smart and, and well-versed and, and looked up to as intelligent people. But the kind of people that God brought to him are people that most of them, not all of them, there's some of them, but people like me and you. We're just willing to lay it all down and walk away from the way we thought it should be and begin to live the way he says it is. I found the new way of living. I found the new life divine. And you begin to live that way. All things become new, Jesus said. They're not fun. They're not exciting. They're not popular, but they're new. And not many people will walk this way, but Jesus himself said only a few. A few. Few there be that find. Remember that? Many will seek to enter in, he said, but will not be able. Something is in the way. Something in their life is an obstacle. And Jesus said one time to a man about obstacles. And he was going to walk away. Jesus said, does my word offend you? Does this word offend you? Is it the reason you are giving up this walk? Is this why you're turning around? Because the world's full of that. The rich young ruler, he couldn't let go of what he had. But he just couldn't. However, he had been trained in all the law because Jesus said, you know the law? He said, I've kept the law from my youth. The Bible says Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he said to him, one thing you lack. There's a deeper commitment you've got to make with your life. And you have so far, you're doing the little sequence of... A, B, C, D. But he said, one thing you've got to do, after all the effort and what you've come to in your life, with all you've got that really controls you, your money, he said, give everything away to the poor, and then you come and take up the cross and follow me. And I'm sure he, like many of us, would say, that doesn't make sense. How could getting rid of whatever I have make me better able to follow the Lord when I'm destitute or broke? It doesn't, it doesn't register. But didn't Jesus say this, that, that spiritual things are spiritually discerned? He said the natural man, the man of the world, the man who is uh, keen, maybe crafty, intelligent, worldly, said the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit because they're spiritually discerned. But he said, a spiritual man is one in whom God has opened his eyes and he can see what God says. And yet he's rebuked for it. He's rejected because of it, but he sees something. I mean, that's the way it is in this life. There is a reason why we, we are persecuted and so on and so forth. Jesus said in, in the gospel that I say unto you that my disciples will live the way I'm telling them live so that they can be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Look at verse 48 of John chapter 5. Isn't that pretty tough? Be you therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect? Who can do that? 
We said, well, nobody can do that. Well, if they can't, then we're given something here to live our life by that we can't. It's not fair. But if we can, then we need to accept that. We can be, if what he said, the way he said it, we can be what he said. So this is a, this is a real kind of life. It's the kind of life we should live. Go back to verse 39. Jesus said, but I say unto you, resist not evil. Resist not evil. Now, the word resist here means to stand against. To stand against. To oppose. It means to resist in a, in a way, whether you feel like it, want to, or even understand it, you resist. Now, and I ain't going to do that. Or you may resist because the crowd or the herd does. But Jesus said, I say to you, while evil is in the world, like a great banquet table, evil is everywhere. You resist not evil. Well, resist not evil. Does that mean that if somebody just wants to come up and slap me on the face? I just hear, hit the other side while you're at it. If somebody wants to sue me all the time, or he couldn't sue me too much because once or twice it'd be over. But you just take it. If somebody wants to uh, do you wrong, lie, cheat, or steal, or if a drug addict or a wino or a, or a shy should come up and said, I want all the money in your wallet. And the Bible says if somebody asks you for it, you've got to give it. Am I supposed to give it? I see how quiet it is in here. But that's a good thing if you're thinking about it. Because, you know, they accuse preachers of doing that. Just like when I met you all coming in here tonight, I said, let me see your wallet. <laughs> but there are, there are people who probably in some form or, or another think that if anybody, whoever, asks you for anything, you're required to give it to them. And yet there's verses in the Bible that said, for example, if a man won't work, then he shouldn't eat. I'm not going to participate in his eating if he won't work to make his own food, I mean his own money. Do you understand what I'm saying? So how do we get to the bottom of all this? What does it mean? What are we supposed to understand here? Am I allowed to pay back somebody that did me wrong? If somebody really did me wrong or did one of my kids wrong or mistreated us in some way, and can I get even with them? Do I have a right to pay them back or to give retribution to somebody? Or what about the day of Jesus if somebody compels you to go a mile, you go with them two miles. Not mad and threatening. You'll get yours. I hope God judges you, you dog. The thing that we're hearing, the thing that we see, if we see it right, is the condition of our hearts and how we react or respond to God and His Word. Because that's what God sees. God sees the heart. He knows exactly what kind of people we are. He knows what motivates us and what we're doing and what we're saying, whether you're with your neighbor or in a pulpit. He knows your reasons, your motivations. Nothing is hidden from God. And He teaches us. He tells us, now this is what I want. I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. We'll get to that next time. I want you to be the kind of person that God is. That is, as much as you can understand of him, I want you as his representative. He's living in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. I want you to live as though this is what God has commanded you to do with your life. Cut no corners. 
don't turn from it to the left or to the right, but you do do what it says. And then the deeper meaning of this verse of Scripture, or this passage of Scripture here, he's dealing with our heart. Because all of us, at times, have wanted to get even with somebody. Now, if you live where I did, you did. You hope somebody got theirs. Anybody live like that person, that person lives so bad they chase cars for a living. They will do you wrong. What did you do the last time somebody slandered your name? What's the last time somebody lied about you to somebody else and caused people to turn away from you? Or somebody spreads rumor through the town that this or that. What do you do? I remember a preacher one time giving an illustration about how easy it is to disrupt a pastor. And he said, all you have to do is leave a note on a chair in the church, the note that says, Tom, wonderful time we had last night. When can we meet again? And let somebody find it. Tom, who's Tom? There's only two Toms in here. Tom, or Brother Tom, or Pastor Tom. Then the word spreads. How would you explain to somebody that's not true? I don't know who put that in the seat you have. Because right, uh-huh, uh-huh. people are always getting caught, and then they, most of them might be innocent, but some of them are really guilty. But even the guilty ones say, cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. They'll swear that, that problem last week. How would you feel if you knew somebody was doing that to you just to drag your name through the mud? And people would believe them. Would you want to get revenge? Would you want to mark? Would you want to find something out on them? What if somebody did you wrong? Told you something, they sold you something and said it was good and it wasn't wrong. I ain't taking it back. A deal's a deal. What would you do? I mean, this is part of our personal relationships with each other or with other humankind. What do we do? Do you threaten them as a Christian? You say, I'll tell you one thing. You better watch your back. Would you do that? What are you going to do? Shoot them? What are you going to do? Hide in the bushes at night close to the house and jump out and whack them good before they go in the house? What are you going to do? All that talk of getting even and threatening people. Is that what Jesus would do? Remember, they slapped him in the face and spat on him and pulled the hair out of his face and beat him with their fists. He even said, I could have called 10,000 angels, didn't he? I'm not going to resist this that's going on. Of course, that was part of our redemption. His suffering was. But as we watch him to be, as 1 Peter 2 talks about us being imitators of Christ, following in his steps, he's an example for us to follow. Can you imagine Jesus saying to one of his guys when they get up close to him, get around behind him and grab him, I'm going to hit him right in the mouth. That's repulsive because Jesus wouldn't do that, yet we do it. I don't mean that, but I mean we do a lot of things that he said we should not do. If you're going to walk with Christ and live in his kingdom when he comes, when he is the king in his kingdom, the ones that are going to live there are the ones that he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He didn't, like I said, he didn't say it was easy. He said he even counted, counted all joy when you go through trials and difficulties and hardships and tribulations and distress. All, all that live godly in Christ Jesus, Paul wrote, will suffer 
persecution. You could get out of the persecution if you'd change your tone. Recant, say something else, go to another place. I mean, just back off. And yet Jesus didn't come to back off any more than he tells us to do that. But what do we do when people talk about it? So you hear something. Do we give them the old glare stare? Whatever kind of stare was a glare stare. Do we really get hot? Our friends know if we got hot because they hear what we say. When nobody else does, our friends do. Or the husband or the wife. Or your best buddy. They hear what you say. I'll tell you one thing. I hope, oh man. I... But see, that's going to happen in life. In the Old Testament, when stuff like that happened, you just dealt with it. But now that we're Christians, Jesus said you resist not evil. We don't fight people anymore. We don't sue people. We don't try to hurt people. We don't try to get even. You're going to be done wrong. Do you think anything can happen to you that God couldn't stop from happening? Are y'all still in here? Do you think there's anything that happens to people that God could have prevented? Then why in the world would he let things do that? Is it not a part of your testing? Anybody can say, I believe in God, but it's when you live it that you believe it. That's a different difference there. But what about resisting? Resist not evil. Do we resist anything? How about James 4, 7? Submit yourself unto God. And then he said, resist the devil and he shall flee from you. What about people who are demonically controlled? Will we resist them? They're people. There were demoniacs in the days of Jesus. There are many religious spirits in the church today. There are all kinds of twisted religious spirits. Look at all the different kinds of religion around the world. They can't all be right because they disagree with so much. How do they get all of this? Doctrines of what? Demons? Or do you want to admit that? Does the Bible say that in the last days many shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons? Well, is it possible then that you could stand in a pulpit in whatever, a rust-colored sweater, and be inspired of the devil in what you're saying? Then that means you better be careful. And not believe what you hear because somebody said it. But you you got a Bible. That's your safeguard. You check out the Scriptures to see if the Scripture says that. If you're not sure it says that, then just hold back a while. Don't lose your... I don't like the word cool like that, but don't lose your cool. There's a lot of things that I used to believe that I don't believe now the way I first did. Because I've learned, it's been, it's come to light, it's cleared up. I can see some things a little clearer. I don't know if I know everything as clear as it's going to be yet. So that is for you to what you hear, search the scriptures, see if it's true. If it's not true, or you don't think it's true, you're not compelled to believe it. But you got to listen. Because we do have to resist the devil. And if things come along that aren't right, the Bible said resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Be sober, be vigilant, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5. He said, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil. He goes about like a roaring lion. Now, who does he roar through? 
if the devil goes about like a roaring lion, I've never heard a roar just come out of space. But that's not what he means by roaring lion. He has people that are proclaimers. Like a roaring lion out there getting a lot of attention, coming for with stuff that's not right. He said, the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he can revour, devour. And then he goes, it finishes that ninth verse by saying, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Or Ephesians 6 and 13. We're told that in Ephesians 6 that, that we are to fight. Our warfare is not against flesh and blood. It's not, our battle is not against people. My battle's not with you. He said, our enemy is what we can't see, but he operates in people. The devil appeals his methods and his ways, or the Bible calls them wiles, is appealing to a certain kind of mindset. And the logic and the reason that he brings to the table is so appealing to the intellect or to the advancement of man. And they begin to gravitate to that. And they begin to get a hold of that. They begin to think like that. And the only thing that disrupts that is truth. The Word of God. So they have a way they're trying to live or they want to live, but it's not the way that God says. Jeremiah said, he said, you are vain. What about telling a bunch of people they're vain? They probably didn't come back, but then again, they had to. He said, the prophets who prophesy to you, and we could say today, not as a translation, but in a similar sense, the people that are teaching you, preaching you today, have made you vain. Now, vain means worthless. That's not a nice sounding word, but worthless is, is empty. A vain person is an empty person, a worthless person, spiritually. But he said, the people that, are, that you're looking to for help are vain. They're making you vain. Remember the Bible says that in the last days men will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and will turn away their ears from the truth. In a religious setting, will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside unto fables, a word which describes man's tales the way man sees it, man's logic. He says, well, now, after all, come on now, nobody can. I mean, you know, in his very astute way, you know, nobody can live this way. I mean, God knows we're in the flesh, and nobody can really just do all of this. What he means was we're just supposed to, supposed to do our best in this body of clay and, 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 and enjoy life and love people. Everybody likes that. But that's not what Scripture says. Love people, it says that. Love God, it says that. But then it describes how we do that. That's what makes people mad, is describing what God said. But can you resist demonic influences in the church? What about heretics in the church? A man who is a heretic, after the first and second admonishment, reject him. Do we resist then? Now, I'm just telling you, Jesus said, resist not evil, but I'm telling you, trying to tell you that, that there are situations where we as a people do resist. If the devil came to you and disrupted a service, you have a right to rebuke him. They did it to Jesus. Remember that 
demon-inspired person spoke up. I know who you are. And Jesus said, shut up and be still. Now, those are my words. Be still. Come out of him. This is no place to let the devil have his way. We have authority. That doesn't mean that we can run downtown and say, everybody better get out of my way because I'll rebuke you. That's not what he said. What we do in here is in preparation for his coming. It's supposed to be. We're here to try to get the refiners, let the refiners fire, purge us and singe us and get us free from all the things, the entanglements of this world that hold us down and hold us back so that we can be delivered from this world and trust in the Lord and pay the price for trusting the Lord. If somebody today used the word faith and prayed for somebody that was sick, you know what his label is? Ha, ha, ha. One of those faith healers. Ha, ha, ha. Well, I know there's a lot of people that major on healing who don't major on faith. How they get them together, I don't know, but that's just the way the world wants to see it. Ha, ha, ha. It ain't that funny. But it's the way it is in the last days. Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians. He said, if any man obey not our word, 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 14, he said, if any man obey not our word, he says, have no company with him. Is that a judgment call we have to make? Do we resist him? We do. In obedience to God, as a part of the system of living the way we live, that by these principles, not rules, but principles that God gives to us for those who want to hear it and want to live by it, we do it His way. And, we, and just like God said, we're not going to tolerate this in, in Israel. You got Leviticus, you got a kid that won't mind. We got a world full of them. But in Israel, in that company, you got a kid that won't mind, bring him to the elders of the gate. Bring him over there where the elders are. Tell him he won't mind. Explain to them what this is about. He said, and they shall take up stones and stone him to death, that he die. Thus shall you put away evil from the midst of you. Well, remember the Sabbath day? Remember the fourth commandment? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? And then it tells in the Bible that they, one man on the Sabbath day was picking up sticks. Picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. How do you pick up sticks? Like this and like this here and down here and picking up all these little sticks to build himself a fire, I guess, to fix his supper. You know what happened to him? They caught the man. They contained him for a while to see what they should do because they had to discuss it. And God spoke to those people and said, stone him. Whoo! In other words, in my kingdom, you're going to live the way God wants you to live. Now, you're free to disobey. God will not make you mind or obey. But if you choose to disobey, then you will suffer the consequences of it. Just like in our society. You don't have to walk the Christian, live the Christian life. But if you choose to, and honor God with your life and your body, which he said... You will be persecuted for it. If not now, pretty soon. You're going to be singled out as one of them, and you're the problem with the world's confusion. If it wasn't for you, we could make progress. If it wasn't for you Christians voting against us or standing against us, we could do something. If we could get rid of the Christians, this world would be a better place. Christians and Jews, that sound like a bunch of terrorists. 
But that's what the world hates. Anything that is identified with God, that wants to live as God would have them to live, the world hates it. And that's the, way, that's the way we live. And he said, if you suffer because of that, if because of your commitment to God, you suffer harassment in public or rejection, maybe in your family, or violence against you, slapping you on the face, lying to you, stealing from you, treating you with scorn. He said, you resist not evil. It is not your place or your right to apply retribution or vengeance because you're part of God's kingdom. In other words, the other side of this hill that we're going up is faith. What can you out there believe that God will do for you in light of all the opposition in the world that he says is against you? Is it true that God can protect you? Can he keep you? Can he prevent things that would destroy you or deter you from happening to you? God knows what we're able to handle. Remember, no temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you're able. Remember that? God is in control. Is he really? Well, you should say amen. Is it true that, that nobody's going to slap you on your face unless God allows it? Nobody's going to steal from you unless God allows it? Treat you with scorn? That's part of it. This is what Christians have to go through. There's never been an age that they didn't. Never was a time that Christians weren't persecuted and, and opposed. A lot of times, I agree with you, Christians brought it on themselves by their antics and their actions. But we're going to be persecuted. Jesus said, when you're living, and I think this is the context, when you're living the life that you're called to live, and you're living that life because of your love for and your obedience to God, then whatever comes against you as a result of that, you don't resist it. If your little kid got up and kicked you in the shin because you, uh, you gave him the wrong kind of cereal for breakfast, I don't think it means you have to accept that. I really don't. And then the world out there says, but you know, if a child is as ugly as sin, you're not allowed to spank them. Now, the Bible says you should. If you love your child, you will chasten him, whether it's verbal chastening which sometimes is enough, or applying the rod, the rod of correction. There's no excuse for ever hurting a child. And child abuse is unacceptable. But getting a point across to a child, you can't do that. God didn't allow that. We don't allow that in this, in this home. The same principle would have come to a church. You want to come to church here? Fine, we're glad you're here. But there are certain things you're not allowed to do here. Is that fair? Now, we'll be people hear about it. They'll persecute you for it. That's not new. But this is the way it works. And when you're called names and you hear in the community derogatory things about you because you believe something or you don't practice something or you don't do that, that's just part of it. You just have to accept it. Don't resist evil. Evil is like a refiner's fire. 
How does Jesus, listen to me, how does Jesus refine you? Is it in the furnace of affliction? Is iron ore eventually turned into stainless steel through a process? I mean, it's not stainless steel. God has to add some things to whatever's in iron ore that you get iron from. There's certain things you mix with it from heaven and it becomes stainless steel. It doesn't have spot, wrinkle, or any such thing in it. But it takes fire. It takes heat. It's called the furnace of affliction. We're told how many times we're going to suffer persecution. That Blessed are ye when men separate you from their country and call your name as evil for my name's sake. Rejoice. Great is your reward in heaven. You're doing something right that the world doesn't like. They don't want it that way, so they persecute you. So this is what he means when he says, so we resist not evil. This is, this is what you do. What did Jesus do when he was slapped? Turn, turn over to John chapter 18. Let me show you a couple things here as we begin to close. John 18, verse 22. And when he had thus spoken, now he's, that's verses 20 and 21. When he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus said, You'll get yours in eternity, brother. Is that what he said in verse 23? Jesus answered him and said, When I'm resurrected, I'm going to deal with you. No. Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, then why would you smite me? Was Jesus rebuking him? Or was he simply asking the question? You asked me a question. I told you the truth. Now, why did you hit me because I told you the truth? He didn't curse them. He didn't level a curse. He just said, why did you do that? What did the Apostle Paul do when he was slapped? Turn to Acts chapter 23. Acts 23, beginning in verse 1. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience unto this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Now, why would he do that? Because the teaching was... The belief was, the stand was, that nobody could live like that. They gave you an out for your sins. You got, you know, well, nobody can, nobody's perfect, they say, and, and nobody is yet anyway. And so because they had dismissed themselves from living the way the law said, they just said, well, nobody can do this. So they picked and chose what parts of the law they majored on, like tithing, and they let these other things go. Jesus told them that. They hit him on the mouth because he said, I've lived in a good conscience up to this day. Hit him in the mouth, somebody said. Slap him. And so Paul said to him, you'll have to make your own determination about this. Then Paul said to him, God shall smite you, thou whited wall. For sittest thou to judge me after the law and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? What did a whited wall mean? It was a custom in Israel. That once a year they would they would clean all their all their grave markers, the sepulchers, you know, and, and they would paint them white and get them real pretty again. They clean them up, and it, it, it was something that was a custom. That's what I read. It was a custom. I think that's what Jesus referred to in Matthew twenty three. Remember, he said, "You make the outside clean, like a whited sepulcher." 
But he said, inside, you're like they are. You're full of dead men's bones. Well, Paul was probably saying here, he said, you hypocrite, what did you do that for? Here I am, a Roman. I've done no wrong and you had me slapped. And somebody said, you revile God's high priest. And Paul said, whoa, I didn't know he was a high priest. Because the Bible says, thou shalt not speak evil of your president. I mean, of the uh, ruler of your people. You know, let me get on that for a moment. Christians take liberties in choosing sides. And they speak against the Republicans, you know, the right-wingers, the bumbling idiots. They can, and then there's the Democrats, and then they're there, blah, blah, this. And then there's the Tea Party. And I'm telling you, and the, he's a crook, they ought to lock him up. My daddy used to say, every, anybody wants to be a politician, they ought to lock. Then he had a name for those people. They ought to lock them beep, up for six months because they're all crooks anyway. Now, where do you learn such an attitude? Of course, I never had that attitude. <laughs> but because that's the way he grew up. It just proved to be right so many times that people are caught lying and stealing and misrepresenting and irresponsible and everything else. But he said, why would you hit me in the mouth? I haven't done anything wrong. Now, I don't think he was threatening the high priest any more than he was challenging the action that he took. Can a Christian do that? Can we ever appeal as Christians, to the laws of the land for anything? There are two kingdoms in this world. There's a kingdom of man, and we'll probably spend the whole next week talking about that. There's a kingdom of man, the way man operates, and a Christian's obligation and responsibility and position in the kingdom of man. And all the things our law says we're required to do, some of those things you can't do. And you're not allowed to do. And the Christian's got to know that. I mean, like taking the oath. I can't take an oath. I can't pledge allegiance. In the purest sense of the word, I can't pledge allegiance to a flag because my citizenship is in heaven. I've given my heart to God. I've pledged allegiance to the God. I pray for our government. I love the country that I'm in. But my, my citizenship is in the kingdom of God. See how offensive that might sound to somebody? And yet all this political talk, we have churches that have political groups and go out and try to get people to sign up to vote and everything, else, which is, we'll try to deal with a little bit of that next week because that's just the way the world operates. That's the way it is. But when Jesus was slapped, when Paul was slapped, when things happened, Paul's reaction to in, injustice was, why are you doing this? Look in chapter 16, Acts 16. 16 and 37, they put Paul in prison. Now, they put Paul in there, and they kept him in there, and then they realized that he, was, he shouldn't be in there. He was a Roman citizen. Uh-oh, because the Romans wouldn't kindly take to this kindly. So verse 37, they said uh, they sent these boys over there to let Paul and Silas out. Come on, y'all can come out now. And Paul said, wait a minute. Now, listen to this. I don't know if you ever read that before. Paul said to him, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison, and now they, they want to thrust us out privately. No. No, verily, let them come themselves and fetch us out. Let the people that put us in here come in here personally and get us out of here. Boy, that's nervy. I'd, if they'd opened that door wide enough to get my old body through it, I'd have been gone. Paul said, uh-uh, uh-uh. We haven't done anything. 
We were wrongly condemned. We were beaten for it. We're Roman citizens. The people that put us in, let them come in here and bring us out. I'm, I'm not going to leave my, my old nasty jail cell until the people that put us in here, the magistrates, come and get us. And, and they did because of the fear of the people, verse following says. So it's not like he said, we're not going to do anything about the law. But on the other hand, the, the law is there to protect citizens, to keep order and justice. Because if you didn't have law in the land, and God ordained law. If you didn't have law, you'd have social injustices and chaos and everything else. You've got to have law. In a civilized society, you have to have law. There, has to be, there have to be those in authority who execute justice on the behalf of the law. Because if you didn't have that, then people would be, it'd be wild. It'd be like the Old West. You'd carry a gun on your hip and, and you'd just defend yourself because law didn't matter. The law was in a forty-five Colt. Now, as we begin to close, go to the next book to the right, just before we end. Romans chapter 12 and verse 14. This is what he taught in light of what he just did that we were telling about. This is what Paul taught. So you can know where his heart is. Verse 14. He said, bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Is that New Testament? It is. Verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. That's what Jesus taught. Provide things honest in the sight of all men, if it be possible as much as lieth in you. I'll say it again. Live peaceably, if you can, with all men. Don't let yourself be the problem if there's a lack of peace. It can't be you. It had to be somebody else. And then he said in verse 20, Therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. Feed him a forty-five. No. If your enemy hungers, feed him. Now, who would do that today? Where on this planet is there Christians that believe that? I don't know many. No, very few. But if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in doing so, you shall heap coals of fire upon his head. Verse 21, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what Jesus taught. Now, again, we live in a kingdom of man. We live in a world in the United States. We have a constitution. We have a democratic process. We have party. and We have uh, branches of government, checks and balances. It's a model for a democratic process, America is. And Romans 13 tells us why. This is what he said. This is our attitude towards our government, towards the powers that be. As a Christian, this is our attitude towards government. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever, therefore, resisteth the power. What power is he talking about? The power that God has ordained, the government. Whoever resisteth the power, resisteth God. And they that resist shall receive unto themselves damnation. That includes Christians. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. 
Will thou then be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and you shall have praise of the same. Do we have to be afraid of policemen? When should we be afraid of them then? When you break the law. Are mothers bad things? Do you ever fear them? Well, maybe I had a different mother than y'all did. My mother thought it was all right to spank in this day and age of brutality and how ugly it is to spank. When I was teaching school, we could spank kids with a paddle out in the hallway. Wow. Now, today, that's just totally unnecessary. See, today, kids cuss you to your face in classroom. They curse you to your face using any, any word they want to, and you can't do anything. And they'll tell you, you can't do nothing about it. Whew. That's where our country has come because of this. I think we've crossed the line in America as far as what can go back to where it's right and decent. I don't know that it can. But I've told my mom, I said, Mother, if spanking kids would get you in court today, they would have electrocuted you the way you beat on me. But she didn't. She used to tell me you didn't get half as many as you should, and I probably didn't. But this is what it says. We'll continue with this more next week. But I want you to see that being a Christian in a civil government, not Christian, no matter how bad you want to say America is a Christian nation, I don't know what you're calling Christian. It has a Christian element. It has Christian influence. But Christianity is a way of living that is dictated by God himself in his word. Now, there are a lot of people that do that, but there's a lot of people in government who don't. Amen. Bow your heads. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to give us hearts that embrace your word, that desire your word, that we can find our peace and safety in Jesus, that we can find that secret place of the Most High where Deep calleth unto deep, that place where things get so settled in our lives that we can only go forward and not backwards. That time and experience that we have in this life as Christians, which your word becomes the ruler of our lives. That we would give up all controversy with you, all of our objection to your ways, all of that would be set aside. I ask you to bless us that way, with that kind of conviction in this word. In Jesus' name, amen.